0: In today's episode, we continue our series on the pastoral epistles with Paul's second letter to Pastor Timothy. Likely the very last epistle he ever wrote, St. Paul penned 2 Timothy while awaiting his execution. The apostle felt abandoned by those once closest to him, and from behind bars he faced the end of not only his ministry but his earthly life. Therefore, 2 Timothy is not only the last words of a man who had staked his life on Christ, but a letter of encouragement to a young pastor on the opposite end of the journey, encouraging him to maintain his focus and hope, of course, on Jesus, and to stay true to the Word of God. Good morning and blessed Epiphany tie. Today is Monday, february twentieth, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Find out all the ways they help congregations and missionaries spread the gospel with foreign language resources rooted in the Lutheran tradition. Learn more at lhfmissions.org. Well, folks, we are coming into a brand new book, but it's not really a new book. It's not, I mean, it is a new letter, but it is the second letter to Pastor Timothy. And piloting us into this new letter this morning, I'm pleased to welcome my guest, the Reverend Tim Hahn, pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Haxton, Colorado. Good morning, Pastor Hahn. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good. Good morning, Pastor Boo. It's great to be with you today. Oh, I'm so happy to have you on. I understand that uh, this is your first time on Thy Strong Word, so I'm excited. Yes, to this. With- yeah, welcome to the program. Um, if you'd be so kind, Thanks. though, what I'd like to do is i like to give you a chance to share a little bit about what God is doing through you and through the saints there, uh, there in Colorado. Uh, just share with us how things are going for you.
1: Well, th- things have been a tremendous blessing. I've been in, um, I've been in Haxton, Colorado for, uh, just a little over a year. I was installed there back in October of, um, of 21. Um, I had served in Ellen in, uh, congregations in central Illinois up until, um, up until that point. Um, but God, um, um, got um, got um, to extended me a call through the saints of um, Emmanuel Haxton. And, um, and, um, interestingly, I had never lived anywhere other than Illinois or California aside from my years at seminary. And so, um, it was definitely a get out of the comfort zone thing because I'd never, um, lived in Colorado, obviously. And so, um, I was looking for that forward to that challenge of being an, um, unfamiliar territory to me. But um, so far it's really worked out well. Um Haxton is a is a it's a small town. It's definitely small town ministry, but um the people are absolutely tremendous from the congregation and the community. And my wife and I couldn't be happier to, to be here. Um but we um but we still continue to lift up the saints in Illinois that I served in prayer every day as well. Um, I'm
0: proud to have served at those congregations and I'm certainly proud to be where I am now. Excellent. I'm, I'm actually looking at Hexton on the map out there in Colorado. And in my mind, I always picture Colorado being a little more North than it is, but yeah, it's right there kind of in the tops uh what we would say, the Northeast corner of Colorado.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, usually when a, when a person thinks of Colorado, they think mountains. Sure. Um, but we're actually, we are in the plains. Um, it's really more, it's, it actually does have a bit more of a Midwest feel than you might think. It's a bit more Midwest culture. There's a lot of farming, mm-hmm. and, and of course, we're not—we're really not far from the Nebraska border at all. Um, right. So it's—it's um, it's, it's not what what might, one might say the prototypical Colorado sure. area because you think um, you, you got to drive about um, 30 miles, and then on a clear day, you can start seeing mountains. <laughs> um, well, that's—that's that, that's that great, doesn't though. Mean that, but that doesn't mean they don't root for the
0: broncos here. <laughs> of, course, def- of course. Definitely definitely bronco territory. So if you drive right over the border though, then that that atti- that attitude changes then.
1: Isn't but, it- and actually even here a, even here a bit um there's there's there, there are a lot of corn husker fans in our territory okay. um which um yeah, that 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 creates a bit of a rivalry because you definitely have your Buffalo fans and your and even your Fort Collins, Colorado State um, fans, but yeah, there's a lot quite a bit of quite a bit of Nebraska red around
0: here too. Sure. Well, I tell you what, um, you've also been uh, married for just a sh- few short years, if I understand correctly, if my if my yeah, information but, um, is right.
1: Yeah, um, June twenty first of twenty one, we got married. Um, I to my um, wonderful wife, Alyssa. We um. Um, in fact, um, I, we, I was serving in a dual parish at the time, and after we got married, we decided to move into the um, to the other church's parsonage, because it was all one level, and it was in the middle of unpacking when I got the call to Haxton, so I said, uh, honey, I think we need to stop the unpacking for a while, because <laughs> we might be packing again, and...
0: Well, that's why I bring it up, not to pry, but I'm just curious, you know, what she thinks about, you know, she marries this pastor and then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, going to Colorado now. So uh, how is she adjusting to all that?
1: Oh, she, she's adjusted very well. Um, she, um, her, um, like I said, my two States are Illinois and California that I've lived in. Her two are Iowa and Wyoming. And we're actually not too terribly far from Wyoming either. So that, um. So we've, we visit a lot of her, um, relatives and friends quite a bit. And, um, so, um, so, so Colorado wasn't that drastic of a change. And, um, actually while we were engaged, we took a vacation and we went to, um, South Dakota, Wyoming and, and Colorado. And, and I, 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 I kept saying, you know, in the future, I could see myself being a pastor here and, um, <laughs> and, um, we, um, and in. We were praying. We were praying, Lord, Thy will be done. If um, if 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 you ever like Tim to come out
0: here, um, we're certainly open to it. And um, that's great. Well, that's that. And that and so is yeah. wonderful. I tell you, it is a um, you know, it's a struggle. We know we're going to read this letter from Paul, mm-hmm. of course, to Timothy. It's his second one, but you mm-hmm. know, it's it's tough. It's a shame that Paul didn't have any explicit letters to the pastors' wives out there. Not that they can't, of course, discern and learn from the life of a pastor and what is required of other Christians, but it is a unique vocation, and so I give thanks to God for yeah. your wife. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I I do too, for sure. <laughs>
1: but mm-hmm. well, I'll but what, I definitely def- see what you mean. Well, I was
0: just going. Why don't we go ahead and get started, though? But I, if you wouldn't, sure. if you wouldn't mind, I'd like for you to begin our time together in prayer.
1: Sure. Um. Let us pray gracious heavenly father we thank you for this um new day that you have blessed us with and um we um thank you for um for saint paul and the way you inspired him to write so many epistles to churches and especially his letter to young pastor timothy there's um so much encouragement that he gives in, in both of his letters and and as we look at second timothy we know you, you use paul to build timothy up for service in the face of persecution um um, and he also um, there's a familiar passage that you that you inspire Paul to write in chapter three, where it talks about what Scripture is all about, that it is inspired by you, and given for reproof, for correction, and for teaching, and for building up and training in righteousness. And we ask that you help um, all of us um, cling to your Word, because it's, it's your Word that gives us strength to be faithful in these, these, these latter days. And bless our discussion of your word
0: today, and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Yes, thank you so much. So I tell you what we're gonna do. Um just as we did with First Timothy, I'm gonna read the first two verses before we even start to talk about any background or anything like that because this is like the outside of the envelope. This is the who it's from, who it's to, uh, an initial greeting, and that's what we're gonna read. So folks, I'm gonna be reading from the English standard Version. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Very similar introduction as with First Timothy. Brother, maybe if you would, give us a little bit of background, you know, what Paul is doing, where he's at when he's writing this letter, um, you know, why this letter, and, uh, you know, did he not say everything he needed to say in first Timothy, just give us a little mm-hmm. bit of perspective on it before we dig into the mm-hmm. text. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, Paul, um, I believe Paul wrote this letter in 68 AD, whereas he wrote, um, first Timothy a couple years earlier in, um, AD um, 65. And, um, and I like, um, and, um, I, and, for, and, um, I am using a little cheat sheet, if you can call the Lutheran Study Bible a cheat sheet, um, but I, I know Paul's purpose in First Timothy was to encourage and instruct Timothy as he called the Ephesians to be faithful to God's word, so it's um, beginning, instru- uh, be- um, beginning instruction, um, and um, here in Second Timothy, it seems he's ta- taking it up a notch, uh, and as I mentioned, the prayer is to build up Timothy for service in the face of persecution. And also an appeal for him to put visit um for to visit paul in rome and so um we get we uh, we get into the um, area of persecution which um which um pastors around the world and even our, our own country face um, it's like the more things change the more they stay the same um i mean the, the things have I been mean, quite as drastic for the apostle uh, as it was for the apostles back in those days but um but in these latter days. Um, it's um so a challenge for pastor Christians and pastors to stay faithful to the word and mm-hmm. Paul's given that encouragement in the time in a time of persecution to continue to be faithful to, to the word.
0: I agree with you that it's very appropriate for our study, you know, in these days because you know, a lot of people talk about how well the world is changing, the world is changing, and in many ways that's true. But also, in many ways, we're really regressing, not progressing. I think a lot of the situation mm-hmm. in which the apostles and the prophets—well, the, not the prophets, I should say. Sorry, the apostles and the evangelists and uh, and pastors like Timothy. I think the situation they find themselves in is a lot like what we're finding today. Entire culture, which is beginning to, in our case come unmoored from its Christian foundings back to where before the church had any influence. And so I think we can learn so much from this. Absolutely. And Paul, I guess around this time, according to tradition, Paul was martyred in Rome during the mid-60s. So according to the dating that you gave us, this very well could be his last letter. Um, You know, he's in prison, probably in Rome, and Mm -hmm. yeah, so he's writing this. And so when you Start facing the end of your life, and you think of all the things that Paul has gone through, and he's facing the end of that, and all the persecution he's gone through. I guess in my mind, I just picture him sitting there thinking of younger Timothy. <laughs> uh, we, we had some debate like, what is young for Timothy? We know he's young. He tells him, don't let people um, uh, treat your, uh, you know, the fact that you're young to, to uh, not uh, trust your authority, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, you know, how young is young? But regardless, Here's a young man at the beginning of his ministry, uh, proverbially, I suppose, at the beginning of his adult life, maybe, and and Paul is at the other end of that spectrum. And so reflecting, as you said, on persecution, he gives him so much guidance, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course. And as we look and see ourselves in more and more persecution, maybe not outright persecution like the Christians back then faced, but an increasing hostility, yeah, these letters are more important than ever
1: definitely and um not coincidentally just um, a, a bit of a sidetrack I, I, I have to be at an installation in our circuit yesterday and and at an, an installation on um, pastors are reading words from scripture and not surprisingly a lot of the a lot of the passages come from first and second timothy because there is a lot of um instruction that paul gives timothy about being a pastor and um and, and an installation and more so in an ordination because here you have a young pastor and you have these seasoned veterans giving words to, um, from that, that the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write and, but an installation is always a good reminder as you're beginning a new ministry and you have your fellow brothers who have been in the circuit longer or not any other pastor who might be there to um, remind them of those words. And, and like I said, I, I was noticing that, a lot of them come from
0: 1st and 2nd Timothy, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's coincidence. Not at all. You know, we think about the heyday of Christianity, at least in the United States, and we might think of the 50s and 60s. Um, there certainly were groups that didn't feel the same way. I, I, I understand that. But mm-hmm. in terms of Christianity, you know, you really couldn't help but grow a church. You couldn't really help, but people just sort of flock to it. And a lot of the reasons for that was because there was a, a cultural benefit to being a Christian. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you, if you started a business, you'd want to do business with Christians. And so what we found, I think, looking back, is the church was full of a lot of people who might not have been Christians, but rather it was socially unacceptable not to be a part of a church, and therefore they were. And in these mm-hmm. uh, dark and later days, <laughs> we see that people— there is no social benefit to being a Christian, at least so far as the world is concerned. And so the church seems to be shrinking. But is it really, right? Is it really? Or is it just reducing like a sauce into its more strengthened form? But regardless, because it's now socially acceptable to be against the Christian message and against Christ, we're going to see more and more of the things that these Christians face too. So mm-hmm. it, yeah, it totally makes sense that at an ordination or installation, You're going to be wanting to remind them of these passages, which also is a little fodder for us to really pay attention today, especially to this first topic, which is about guarding the good deposit, the deposit entrusted to you. And that's kind of the Mm -hmm. first topic he says. Let's read that. I'd like to read just verses three through seven, and then we can talk about it. Okay. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. Wow! Mm-hmm. So we have the famous grandma and mom mentioned, right? And we have yes. uh, a call to—he's uh, he, he's being—he's recalling, I should say, this—you uh, know—crying cr- and tears. It's—it's it's a very emotional mm-hmm. beginning to this letter.
1: Definitely. Um. In fact, if I'm. looking at, uh, especially, um, verse four, as, as I remembered you, your tears, um, that was, um, Timothy's sadness over his earlier separation from Paul's and they they had developed a very, um, close relationship. Um, going back to verse two, he says to Timothy, my beloved child, um, um, obviously Paul was not Timothy's physical father, but he was a father in faith. Like, um. I know past pastors have uh, like a father confessor or spiritual father, and that's sort of what Paul was to Tim. So you can definitely to Timothy, I should say. I'm um, I'm just used to be calling myself Tim, with my name being Timothy. But um, but there there's definitely that bond that they have for sure. And so um, so he's thinking. So um, so Paul is definitely pra- thanking God for Timothy and his zeal for um, learning the ministry through him and. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So it's not just Timothy that has that feelings for Paul. It's vice versa, too. There's a definite bond between the
0: two of them right away. Let's talk about that relationship for just a second. Um, You know, I heard it said that, well, you know, and this is from someone who believes that, uh, you know, one must make a decision for Christ. One must come to faith by giving their heart to Jesus and making that decision once they've reached a certain age. So they say, mm-hmm. well, what it means by him being his spiritual father is that although he was raised by his grandmother and mother who had a sincere faith, as Paul says, of course that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't save him. He had to eventually make this decision. And it was through Paul's preaching that he made this decision, thus making Paul his father. And I, mm-hmm. so I'm really grateful that while I don't doubt that his, his faith was encouraged and strengthened by Paul's you know, mentorship and preaching. I'm glad that you brought up this idea of the father confessor Um, in this text. It sounds like you, and I would agree with you if this is true, that it's more of a, he considers himself his father because not he brought him into the faith. That faith was nurtured from childhood, but rather he brought him into the ministry. Is that kind of where you're going with def- that?
1: Yes, that's def- that's definitely where I'm going. Cause yeah, he had, he certainly had a strong upbringing with, um, Lois and Eunice, um, um, as as um,
0: yeah, mother and grandmother, like we talked about earlier, but um, but this but is I'll, what I'll just be, all you say. This is what they that they being those who believe in decision theology. This is what they struggle with because it says here that you know I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And mm-hmm. so he he's not saying. I'm sure because you've made this decision for Christ, he's saying, I know because you've been acquainted with the, the scriptures since childhood, as he says elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's, it's this beautiful uh, testimony to bringing someone up in the faith. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: Um, yeah. Good. Cause yeah. Yeah. You get into that whole thing about decision theology and yeah, you have to make that decision yourself. Whereas um, yeah, in, in, in the Lutheran church, that's why that's one of the reasons we um, promote um infant baptism first of all because we know babies are born with a sin with sinful inclinations and and of course original sin too and um and um i always i when when i go through especially adult confirmation i i I tell them all that and i said it becomes the parents um privilege but also certainly responsibility to um bring them up in the faith um and, and and um and it includes having regular devotions with them, along with bringing them to church and Sunday school. Um, I mean, you talk about these latter days. Um, a lot of the parents, um, they, they feel it's just really the pastor's responsibility to bring them up in the faith. But a pastor only sees his people uh, at, at least for an hour in church, maybe in Sunday school and Bible class, and maybe occasionally through the week if there's something that, if there's visiting that needs to be done, But most of the time, that the child is obviously going to be with the parents, so um, the parents have um, just as much, if not more, responsibility for the edification of of a child. And so, um, so kudos to Eunice and Lois for the way they um, trained, uh, for the way the God worked through them to bring to raise
0: Timothy in the faith. There's another aspect to that whole story too, because well, Jewish boys would have been instructed. By their dads, by their fathers, that would be their job to bring them up right in the law and fear of the Lord. So when we see here, say, Eunice doing that, um, we know why, and it's because Timothy's father was Greek. Uh, In Acts 16, um, it says, uh, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was Greek. So we know from elsewhere in scripture that uh, Timothy's dad was not a believer. And how many of our blessed saints out there in the church today are women who live with unbelieving husbands who continue to, of course, pray for them and witness to them through their, through their faith. But here we see her not just saying, well, it's, it's his dad's job and his dad doesn't want to do it, so it's just not going to get done. But no, in, in faith toward God, and love toward their son, you know, they they fulfill that role that typically a Jewish man would do. And I think this speaks to mm. a lot to the women out there who find themselves in a role that maybe they shouldn't have to be doing if they had faithful husbands. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. And um, in, in my experience, I've, I've had families in, um, with, with that circumstance, and I certainly give thanks to these mothers for the way they have. Um, um um, br- um brought their children in the faith and um even though even though they the father might not um be um might not be a believer just might not be a church goer um i i've i've known some I've, I've known some of these fathers and they they, cl- they claim christ as lord but for whatever reason they um they they don't um feel church is necessary and and thanks be to god there have been situations where i have brought the father through adult confirmation and they've um become members of the church but that doesn't obviously that doesn't always happen um, I mean people talk about the father being the spiritual leader of the family but if that doesn't um, happen then um, thanks be to God for the mothers who pick up that slack if you will and um, um, because um, a lot of these mothers have been raised in the church and they they do pass that
0: faith on to their children and and um, thanks be to God for those mothers. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And we think of situations like St. Monica and her son Augustine, whose uh, diligence in, in persistent faith uh, and prayer eventually not only brought her son to be one of the church fathers, but also her husband to faith. And so, you know, we also, yeah, we see that pay off in history and in our own experience. And, and at the same time, I guess it's, it's good that we cannot read the hearts of people because uh, you never know uh, how much, even if you don't see, like even if that husband just never ends up making it into the doors of the church until his dying day, um, mm-hmm. you, you still don't know what your witness has done within his heart and what God has used that. So just a shout out to all the mothers out there who are kind of going at it alone. Don't give up. You know, you have the spirit Amen. of Lois and Eunice. Uh, then he says, for this reason, in verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So we have, okay, this gift of God, which is in mm-hmm. you through the laying on of my hands. So it was a gift that was given to him by the laying on of hands, because mm-hmm. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. What is this gift of God? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, cert- certainly, certainly. Um certainly paul um certainly um paul reminds him that um the, the ministry is um certainly the gift of God and um through the laying on of hands and um of course you think you think of the term laying on of hands and you think ordination because that's that's one of the most powerful things that um took place at my or speaking for my own ordination was having the pastors laying on of hands and um and giving a blessing as you begin um your ministry It's like um keep those words in your hearts and minds and um and a, and a lot of the verses, um, those verses that that were spoken to me through the laying on of hands have been a great encouragement to me in my ministry. Um, but I mean, one that stands out to me is Psalm 121, um, especially those first couple of verses. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, that has really suited me well in, in my ministry. It's like, especially in difficult situations, um, I, I'm, I'm always reminded that the Lord is our help, and um, and He's the one who's given us given us these gifts to be able to preach and teach and care for care for souls. And um, and even when 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 things seem to be um, discouraging, we still have the this is the Lord the Lord is still working through us. He's gonna He's gonna get He's gonna get the pastors through difficult times in His way and His time and. And uh, and he's going to keep us faithful to that. Um, and, um, but there is also um, in the um, in the in the Lutheran Study Bible um, with verse six. There's a, a we're encouraged to see a note on First Timothy four verse fourteen, and there Paul wrote, "Do not neglect the, sp- the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you." Um, it's, and um, the note says, this, um, this denotes, oh, first of all, gift, a, a special gift of God's grace that enables the recipient to carry out a particular role or task in the congregation. Timothy's gift enabled him faithfully to fulfill the tasks of his ministry in Ephesus. And as far as giving you by prophecy, this denotes the proclamation of the word when Timothy was publicly placed in his position as pastor, comparable to with um, the ordination and or installation of pastors today and then um, laid their hands on you. This visible act signaled Timothy's placement in the office of the ministry, a showing that his gift is to be used publicly on behalf of the congregation. And, uh, and of course we see that as preaching the word
0: and administering the sacraments Um, in, um, in ministry today. Mm-hmm. Which is also, I think, in verse 7, why he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If nothing else, you know, obviously we have these descriptions of what are required for ministers, for for elders, for deacons, all this kind of stuff. But we see here in a real tight summary exactly what's needed for pastoral ministry, right? You need to not be afraid. Um, and, but, but rather understand that you have power, of course, that's really authority to dispense with the authority of, of, of the congregation and the power of God, but then don't no misunderstand because you also have to have love and self-control. What, what a summary of what God calls all pastors to, really all Christians to. Mm-hmm, definitely. Let's well, tell you what, brother, we're right here at the point where we should take a break. So I'm going to go ahead and take a break, but folks, don't go anywhere when we come back, Pastor Hahn and I will continue with Second Timothy chapter 1. We'll see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me this morning is the Reverend Tim Hahn, pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Haxton, Colorado. Folks, if you have any thoughts or questions about today's show, don't hesitate to reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can drop me a message on Facebook. I love to hear from you. And I just want you to know I'm so grateful that you're tuning in to Thy Strong Word. You can catch us on the airwaves on demand at kfuo.org, and for those who prefer to listen on the go, You can download the KFUO app or subscribe to the program on your favorite podcasting platform. It means the world to me that you're here, and thank you for telling your friends and families about thy strong word. Now, Pastor Han, before the break, we were just getting to really just the introduction here of the uh, verses 3 through 7, and we ended with this thought of having a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is a message for all Christians, but especially to pastors, and especially from the pastor Paul to the pastor Timothy, as they find themselves on opposite ends of this journey through ministry and life. Is there anything else you might want to cover before we read our next section?
1: Um, I'll I'll I'll, um I'll just say kind of as a personal thing. um, yeah, um, especially at the time of my ordination, I, I I've certainly was grateful for the um, what I would call the seasoned veterans who were of um, big help to me um, as I was beginning my ministry. And, um, and also a mentors uh, through my pre-seminary days at Concordia Irvine and also um, in my seminary days at Fort Wayne. Um, and, and, and also having grown up as a, as, a pa- as a pastor's kid, I had a lot of role models to follow. And so I can certainly appreciate what Paul was doing for young Timothy because those are, um, seasoned yeah pastors with more experience than I um, are definitely a um, a good a great blessing, especially for young pastors. And even now, twenty years in the ministry, there are people I still talk to um, as, a, as a sounding board or for advice or um, even just um, just time in the Word together. Because um, time. Obviously, we spend time in the word in preparation for sermons and Bible studies. but um w- one of the most important lessons that I, I need to be reminded of, to be honest, is that I need to be looking to the Word for my own spirit, my own spiritual edification, because um first and foremost, you have to take, um, um I, I believe we have to take care of ourselves spiritually. Um, and I, um, I've been through um the doxology program. Yeah, there's a good commercial for that right now. Um, but one of the first things I learned it was reminded of is when you go on an airplane and they tell you if you need to use the oxygen mask, put it on yourself first, then take care of your kids. It's kind of the same way with ministry. Yet you, you have to you have to take care of yourself spiritually to be able to help others spiritually. And so, um, so seasoned veterans have taught me that, and they've um, and I know they build themselves up and they built me up and they helped me to remember to build myself up as I'm working with the spiritual lives of the people I've been charged to.
0: That's so true. You bring up this requirement that pastors take care of themselves, and this would go for uh, moms and dads, too, who are charged with bringing up others like their children in the faith. Uh, But yeah, be in the Bible for yourself. A lot of people say, well, pastors, you guys are always in the Bible. But as you pointed out, we're often in the Bible for the benefit of someone else. And so we have to take that time, and that includes being surrounding ourselves with other pastors, whether they be younger or older uh, than us in ministry. But we see here in this relationship just how important it is to have a spiritual father, a father confessor, someone that you're close to, as well as you know attend things like circuit meetings, winkles, and that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, here you are starting us off with first—I'm sorry—Second Timothy chapter one, and you mentioned doxology. Well, just a week or so ago, we began First Timothy, and Chapter 1 was the Reverend David Fleming, who is the Executive Director of Doxology. So uh, he started us off with that that first one. Here you are starting us off with the second. Uh, Excellent uh, commercial, so to speak, for for doxology. Um, Well, what do we read on? We're going to read verses 8 through 14. Okay. and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, and apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Okay, a couple things stand out to me. The first, of course, is that extremely long run on sentence, which is uh, verses yes. eight and nine and ten and eleven and twelve, at least the first half of twelve. That's all one sentence. Paul is famous for that. Uh but oh, we yes. but we often say he's it's because I I don't know, he's excited, right? He's getting this message out there. He's not really using a lot of the grammatical conventions that that we might think of today but he gets this message mm-hmm. out and and what he's excited about uh is frankly the fact that he's a he's a pastor timothy's a pastor they're both ministers in christ not because of what they've done but because god has called them to do it what he wants he sounds very lutheran in that regard
1: <laughs> very much so um yeah um, you, you definitely see the passion and um and um and I know we've been talking a lot about how um a lot of this really applies to to, to ministers um but but you can see a lot of this is applying to Christians in general too um and um, and, um if, if, I, if i if i can um if I could start talking um i here we start to see some of the persecution stuff beginning to unfold um, right away I mean he's saying, don't be ashamed of me as his prisoner um I, I've always found it fascinating about Paul, um, that a lot of his letters are written in prison. And, um, and um, prison was a lot different back in Paul's days than it is in our day. True. I mean, I mean, I mean he was um, chained up and, um, and dark and, and, um, and, and, and hard surfaces. I mean, it was, it wasn't, certainly wasn't like it is now. Um, I mean, there was definitely a lot of um, physical pain involved with um, being a prisoner. But here he is, um, always expressing the joy of Christ Jesus, and and that's sorry one of the things he's trying to bring out now. And um, and um, another thing that popped into my head as we were reading, as we as I was reading through this beforehand, and as we read it together, is um, I think about um, confirmation and the, the specific question that I asked the confirmands. It's like, are you willing to suffer all, even death? rather than fall away from it and um uh, and we, we we go through this in class even before their confirmation day here, here are the questions that i'm going to ask and um and I, I often i often say you know it's it's easy when you're up there in church in front of me and in front of the congregation and you answer yes by the grace of god but um but it, but um if you ever get into that situation where um where, um, where someone is practically holding a gunpoint and saying, are you, are you, do you believe in this Jesus guy? I mean, you talk about uh, a nerve wracking situation and, um, that that's where that question really comes in handy. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to suffer death rather than fall away from the faith? And I'd hope and pray by the power of the Holy spirit, they would be, have the strength and courage to be honest and say, yes, I am a Christian. And, um, and if, and the, the threat goes through, we, we definitely know that they're going to be living with Jesus in heaven. Um, so, um, so, so yeah, so we talk about the persecution, the suffering is, started, it, we're starting to see that, um, yeah. take shape as we get into that this particular section. But, um, but even through all the suffering that Paul went through, you definitely see the joy, that he has in having G Je- and Jesus being his savior. And he wants to get that message out as much as he can. And he doesn't care that he's chained up in prison and in most uncomfortable positions. He wants to get that word out and yeah. nothing, let, nothing is going to stop him.
0: Yeah. He goes back and forth in this text, right? So he starts, you know, don't be ashamed of the testimony mm-hmm. about Lord or me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering. So he talks about suffering as you, as you pointed out. And, and then he says, you know, he's called us to a holy calling, right? It's, this is set apart. The reason why we're suffering is because we're not like the rest of the world. And, and as you pointed out earlier, this is something that sh- is not just for pastors. This is Christians. We, we are seen as different because we are different, but mm-hmm. not because of our works. That's his nice Lutheran quote, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave uh, us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So now he's leaning towards a Calvinist quote. But regardless, we see here this uh, this concept that God is in control. And then mm-hmm. he talks about the appearing of the Savior Jesus, and then what it, what is it he says? Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. So I, I'm just backing up what you're saying here, because even if we should, mm-hmm. were to succumb to the absolute worst penalty on earth for our faith, who cares, right? Because death is mm-hmm. abolished. So the worst they could, litter- right. folks at home, the worst they can do to you is kill you, <laughs> and, and that's that's the worst. What, what you know, there's nothing else worse than that, and, and that's nothing for Christians who have waiting for them, um, Christ. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and 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 to add to that, a bit, even um, even if we are uh, even with all the days of suffering, like we go through trials and tribulations, um, whether in the ministry or again be just being. A Christian in today's world, I mean, all, all, no matter how, how long we suffer, it's only temporary compared to the eternal joys that await us in our Lord's heavenly kingdom.
0: So true. You know, no matter what happens tonight, folks, you're going to wake up. <laughs> you're going to wake up and be here with us. You're going to wake up and be with the Lord, which, as Paul would say later, is far better. Uh, but then mm-hmm. he says in verse 11, and maybe this should be read uh, at more mm-hmm. ordinations. Um, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. You know, mm-hmm. it's the young bucks out there who think, well, you know, I'm going to become a pastor because then I'll get this uh, respect and authority, and I'll I'll be in charge and I'll be up front. And those are all the ways that Satan is going to tempt you away from focusing on Christ to abolish death. And to think mm-hmm. that if as a pastor or as a Christian, folks, that you're going to avoid suffering, you know, Paul writing from prison. So, I mean, he's certainly slanted in that direction. Is just telling this young man, just so you know, that's that's not the case. That's not the case. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, nowhere in Scripture does it say life as a Christian is going to be a bed of roses. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, and so, something I emphasize in Bible classes, I, I revert back to um the end of the Beatitudes, attitudes where Jesus says. Blessed are you when people revalue on my account. Um, not if, when. Right. And right. rejoice and be glad, for a great is reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. I mean, look at the the gory way the gory ways that a lot of these apostles, Paul included, died. Um. But um. Yeah. but, but yeah. And and and. In to, in today's world, there is there seems to be that um, belief that, well, as a Christian, because we're because we're, we're Christians, we should ha- life should be easy. We should be we should be so blessed with material things. There's, I'm not, I'm not going to single out any one TV evangelist or another, but that seems to be the message that they try to relay across. If you just believe, you're gonna you're gonna have a prosperous um, life, right? But but they're talking about that from a
0: materialistic point of view. Yeah, you um, got Joel Osteen, you got Joyce Meyer, you got Creflo Dollar, you got all, I'll name them because, because it's such, Mm. it's so, it's so detrimental to the faith, right? That this idea Mm -hmm. that, you know, that your pastor should be driving a Rolls Royce because that's just demonstrative of how strong his faith is. And if you just have enough faith and send enough money into the TV preacher, you'll have that too. And and I'm passionate Mm -hmm. about that because, you know, I have loved ones who've fallen for that. I have shut-ins. Who fall for that? And it's uh, it's such a—it's um, just not what the Scripture talks about. I mean, but you would agree, Pastor, that it's not to say that we're, we're supposed to always be miserable. Like, if you're not miserable, you're not doing it right. So,
1: Oh, exactly. But, but it's not going to be a bed of
0: roses either. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think all that finds its key in verses 13 and 14, because what sets apart, say— the Joel Osteins of the world up there saying, right, you know, give till it hurts and you'll be blessed. And, uh, and say the St. Paul's of the world who say, you know, there is suffering because you're going to be set apart from the rest of the world. And I think it is mm-hmm. the message. The message we are to give are just is just what Paul says here. Follow the pattern of the sound. Uh, in this case, sound just means true, right, faithful. The mm-hmm. sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, so faith and love's always there, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, and then he urges him to guard the good deposit. That's just another word for doctrine, folks, right? When you preach and proclaim mm-hmm. the true doctrine, then yeah, you're going to find yourself at odds with the world and at odds with false teachers and at odds with anybody who's resistant to Christ's message, and of course, that's going to be more of them than us. And so really... There is something to be said that if you find yourself and your doctrine and your preaching to be pretty much in line with everything the world says, you might want to take a step back. Definitely. So what else can we get from this passage that might encourage us as both pastors and parishioners?
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with um, the la- those last two verses. Um, this, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. And the faith and love there in Christ Jesus, and um, and something Paul will emphasize that it's not directly, it's not from from me in the sense that he didn't make these words up. It's the words that God gave him to speak, Um, and by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Um, I'm I'm talking I'm talking about this. um, installation I went to yesterday, the the preacher was um talking about um those words of the of confession from in LSB is divine service three um wh- whereas the long timers know it from page 15 of the old of the TLH where it says I a poor miserable sinner um uh, he had um he had a visitor um afterwards come up to him and saying how dare you have us call ourselves poor miserable sinners um but um, but the Bible makes it true. That is the truth that what yeah. we are. I mean, again, using the liturgy as an example, in the Divine Services one and two from LSB. We can we're, we're confessing um First John one eight and nine, where we say if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, uh, there's the law right there. But then verse nine, the gospel. You see the gospel. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just. Will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, and, um, it was also talked about in this sermon how pe- people don't like, they don't necessarily like to admit that they're sinners. They don't like the law. I mean, do they need it? Yes. Is it beneficial for them? Yes, because it prepares them for the gospel. But um, our, um, our ears don't like to hear the words that um, we are sinners, but But we definitely need it. Um, I I I compare it to kids and vegetables. Kids don't like to eat vegetables, but they definitely need them for their physical growth. Right. Um, They'd rather if if they had some kids had it their way, they'd have dessert all the time. But that's not healthy for you. Um, In the same way, you need the law that reminds that um, shows us our sin, but then right away the gospel, which shows us our Savior. I mean we, we talk about a pattern, and we, we um in the Lutheran church uh, we preach law and gospel, those sound words of the law that tells us our sin and the gospel that show, that says that we've been forgiven our sins through um the death through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yeah. um and the Holy and, and the Holy Spirit, um, as we confess in the third hour of the creed, has called us by that gospel, enlightened us with his gifts. And sanctified and kept us in that true faith. Um, so those, those those last two verses, um, I'm certainly reminded of the third article and what all that entails, especially about the Holy Spirit and what He does for us.
0: It does seem to go back and forth as we go through history on you know what we as a society need in general. You know, there there was a time when Christians were being told, say, by the the Roman Church that they had to work their way into heaven. And therefore they were breaking their necks, trying to keep the law and and the gospel was so important. And then we look in these last days. And oftentimes when we get up there and we preach, um, you're saved by grace, by faith, not by works, um, which is obviously true. What the people are hearing then is, well, now I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do any good works. I don't have to help my neighbor. I don't. And so the pendulum is kind of swung so this is why mm-hmm. the Lutheran Church must be marked, or every church, hopefully, by the what we would call the proper distinction between law and gospel. right? Both are proclaimed mm-hmm. in there in the right way. But I, mm-hmm. I, and were, I bring that up because I want to say that when I was several years ago, when I was finishing up my doctoral work, um, I had a Baptist guy come up to me and he says, "You know, you know, we, we Baptists believe that we're sinners, too, but we don't dwell on it nearly as much as you Lutherans do. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like, I get it. But it's so easy for the human spirit to say, "Oh, I'm I'm not that bad. I'm I'm sure that compared to most people, I'm fine. God's God's pretty cool with everything, and I don't have to worry about it." We constantly need to be reminded of our sin, uh, probably more than we need to have our egos stroked.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I, I um, you know, I was I, I was talking yesterday. I was preaching on the epistle from First Corinthians three. And, um and I also use uh, as um one of as one of the verses um James where he says be doers of be be doers of the word, not just hearers um and I mentioned that what James does there and what Paul did in first Corinthians three is he basically um uh, crushes egos, ours included um that's um it's not about us because if it were if we're all about us, um uh, we'd be in trouble because because of the fact that um we don't live perfectly even our heavenly father is perfect as Jesus even says in Matthew 548 but um but um, thanks be to God that um, he gave all of our sins he, he placed all of our sins on Jesus on the cross in exchange um, we receive his righteousness um, of course we know that in the Lutheran Church as the great exchange and And um, in second, second Corinthians five twenty one is one of my personal favorite verses. But you had no um, to be him to be sin who had no sin, so that we may receive God's righteousness. And I I realize I'm paraphrasing there a bit. Um, But um, but that 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 great exchange is um, certainly the, the greatest gift of love that God
0: gave to us. Well, i tell you what, I want to finish up because we're getting toward the end of the program here, but we have a few more verses left, and here we get some insight into, I guess, how Paul is feeling. Um, and so he says, and evidently this is a message that's reached even Timothy, verse 15 through 18. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Vigelis and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So uh, obviously Timothy's down in Ephesus, but here's how he ends up this section. Now remember folks, this is the end of the chapter, but the chapters aren't inspired and they help us find places in the bible but really especially in a letter they can be a little troublesome so it's not as though paul like finishes here and then he's not going to come back to the letter he he goes right into the next thought but this is where we'll be ending today but uh he 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 says that people are turning away from him they are, while he encourages timothy to not be ashamed evidently brother there are lots of christians who are ashamed that they don't like what's going on
1: mm mm-hmm. mhm um yeah, and there, and there are some yeah, who, have turned, who have turned away from the church um, for, um, for, for various reasons. Um, um, and so it's something that One of the things I learned early on is that um, pe- uh, people shouldn't go to church because of the pastor. They should be going to church because of Jesus. And it seem, it's, sometimes um, it seems like when there is a new pastor, if, especially if he has replaced someone who is there for a long time, it's like, well, he's not like pastor so-and-so. I mean, he's just not as, not as funny in his sermons or whatever. And so for that reason, they, they quit, they quit going or, um, or they're upset because so-and-so had, um, five helpings of another person's potato salad, but he didn't eat any <laughs> of ours. Right. Um, it, it seems like they just look for, in, in in these latter days, they're looking for excuses not to come, but, um. But ultimately, um, something that was shared with me, um, is like when, when, when a person says like they're, they're mad at some of like the church or the mad at pastor or the, the pastor or whatever, chances are really are, they're more mad at God about something. Right. Um, and, and, um, and obviously a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's told me in, in regard to that is confidential. I'm certainly not going to divulge that on the radio, but, uh, um, sure. but, but you're but right. That, but though. It's, but that's but I mean, uh, that's something that does
0: happen. Oftentimes people have it in their heart that they're upset over one thing or another, but because they don't want it to be, say, their reason or their fault for leaving the church or to going somewhere else, they wait for something they can cling on to. And so when you have a switch of pastors, that happens. They don't like the the new pastor because of whatever, X, Y, and Z. It actually hardly matters because, as has <laughs> as I think we've been taught, the issue is rarely the issue, right? The issue that's presented is not the mm-hmm. issue that's usually at hand. It's usually something much, much deeper. So you think about that, though, and you think, well, if someone's offended because you know the new pastor or, or, or even the old pastor ate more of so-and-so's potato salad than mine, then how would they think if their pastor were arrested and sitting in prison as St. Paul is? And so there mm-hmm. were plenty even back then who are like, You know, we know that the Christian faith is contrary to the culture. We know that there are literal laws against us proclaiming Christ, and yet we're going to do it anyway. And then when, say, an apostle gets arrested and put in prison, as Paul is, then they go, oh, well, I don't want to be associated with him because of that fear that they don't want to be put in prison. And even if they have Mm -hmm. sincere faith, as you said, that faith ends up being anger towards God. It's like they're not so much mad that Paul's in prison, they're mad that that they can be faithful to God and still be put in prison, right? So, so why why can't we be the favored in society? So there's there are a lot of things that go behind um, people getting upset with their church or, say, being ashamed of the church or being ashamed of the message. And a lot of that shame comes, in my estimation, because they are different. They end up, if you believe, teach, and confess what Christ tells us to, if you guard the good deposit, as Paul tells Timothy to do, then you are going to be different than the rest of the world. and in many ways, the world will not like you. And that's uh, mm-hmm. that's our cross to bear. Exactly. Well, what we can leave with though, of course, is what Paul asks for uh, Onisphorus. Um, he asks that because he was not ashamed, because he refreshed him, because he searched and found him in prison there in Rome to take care of him, um, then, what does he say he says may the lord grant him mercy to find or sorry to find mercy from the lord on that day that day being of course mm-hmm. the day of christ's return which brother i don't know about you actually i do know about you we are praying to come uh, as soon as possible we're we're hastening the day that the lord comes
1: mm-hmm. yeah some something I, I i often will conclude sermons and bible classes and, and also i do um facebook devotions i always conclude with
0: we are one day closer to that day happening. Well, I'm thankful that I spent this day, one day closer to the Lord's return, with you, uh, my guest, the Reverend Tim Hahn, yes. pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Haxton, Colorado. Pastor, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to being with you again. I hope so, very soon. Folks, tomorrow, which happens to be the very last day in Epiphany Tide, we take up chapter two. St. Paul, who knows much about suffering for the faith, as we've already talked about, commands his protege to share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, something that will take sacrifice and, of course, reliance upon Christ. So don't miss it. Until tomorrow, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.